0: I'm Tom Laurie, and I will be your
1: host today. Thank you for joining us. Today, our guest mentor is James Bob Haggerty, who over the past 30 years has worked as a reporter, editor, and bureau chief for the Wall Street Journal and the International Herald Tribune, and has been in Hong Kong, London, Brussels, Paris, Atlanta, and New York. He holds a degree in economics from the University of North Dakota and is the author of The Fateful History of Fannie Mae, which was published in 2012. After writing about real estate, economics, bond markets, furniture, construction equipment, Belgian beer, English plumbing, and even Hong Kong criminals using cell phones as assault weapons, Bob today makes his living by writing about the dead for the Wall Street Journal. Each week, he writes three or four obituaries examining extraordinary lives he has discovered of both the famous and the obscure. Join me in welcoming today's guest mentor, Bob Haggerty, who is joining us from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Bob, I have a good friend, and he was a uh, former Marine One pilot, and what fascinated me me when I first met him, gosh, this has got to be 20 years ago, that he started reading obituaries when he was in his 20s. What What is it about obituaries that attracts readers?
2: Well, I think it's the it's the life story and the lessons we can draw from, from that. Uh, people often tell, come up to me and when they hear, hear I write obituaries, they often say to me, oh, you know, I really enjoy obituaries. I know that's morbid, but... And then, I would say there's nothing morbid about it. An obituary is about a life. Uh, The death is just a pretext for writing about that life.
1: And historically, these have been written by funeral homes, haven't they? Or I guess family members with funeral homes?
2: It depends on who you're talking about. And for prominent people, uh, newspapers have always, or for centuries, written obituaries. Uh, For... The ordinary person is usually the family often guided by a funeral director who put together a some kind of a life summary, uh, often not very well because it's usually done at the last minute uh, at a time of great stress on the family, uh, which is why I always tell people you ought to do this in advance. You really ought to write your own obituary.
1: I've noticed in the last few years, particularly as uh, print media has been uh, Diminished in terms of local newspapers. I've, I've noticed in our local newspaper there's three or four pages now of obituaries. That for a, for a, an industry that's focused on the dying, it appears to be a growth industry. <laughs>
2: that's true. Well, I think one reason is that newspapers discovered uh, about twenty years ago or so that this could be a profit center for them, uh, selling what they call death notices, which are usually written by the family. Um, If you go back even further, the newspaper staff would often write uh, small obituaries about just about anybody of any significance in a town. But then as newspaper staff shrunk, there were fewer of those staff-written obituaries, especially in the local papers. Uh, And that created a demand from families, well, we want some kind of notice out there. And we kind of like to uh, write it ourselves so everything in it will be positive.
1: I see also, though, this has become a little bit of a cottage industry with coaches on how to write uh, obituaries, online classes, and writers for hire. So uh, it, it seems like it's becoming – is it with the baby boomers? What? It just seems to be becoming an industry in itself. Yeah, I think people are
2: recognizing – some people uh, – you know, just as a funeral is no longer necessarily a sad, mournful affair, so to be a celebration of life, uh, people are realizing we should tell our own stories. Uh, most people don't really get around to doing it properly, but some do. And if you do want to, you can hire people to write, help you write it or write it for you. Uh, you can buy books or read articles about how to do it. Uh, so it probably is, in some ways, a growth industry, um, Probably a lot more potential because I think uh, there are many people uh, who die without getting this done. And then their family wants to have that story written down. And they scramble uh, to try to come up with the details and the meaning of this and that. Uh, And it's difficult after the... Star of the show
1: is dead. Well, we're going to talk a little bit of that towards the end of the show. But how did you get? Uh, I mean, you've been all over the world. You've written for the uh, Herald Tribune, a Wall Street Journal, and a number of other subjects. You would think that writing obituaries wouldn't be the top of the list for a young journalist or for any journalist. How did you end up in this?
2: Well, apparently, I'm not a young journalist anymore. I'm 63. But um, I would have been interested in this 20 years ago. Uh, I think it's because, partly because I lived in London for many years and the British papers uh, put a bigger stress on writing obituaries and doing them in an interesting, often entertaining way rather than just, you know, listing a bunch of dates and achievements and some quotes about how noble and how great everybody was. They would really tell a story, uh, often with some humor in it. Um, And I saw that that was something that we didn't do very often in the Wall Street Journal. Um, Even when uh, very important people from the world of business died, we we often had only a skimpy mention. Uh, So I was always interested in this. I thought I liked history. And when Wall Street Journal five
1: or so years ago
2: said they were looking for an obituary writer, I put up my hand.
1: And you were chosen.
2: (laughs) I was. And you asked me to write one (laughs) sample. I wrote two samples just to uh, show how eager I was.
1: It appears to me that you have a rather large following. What is it that you think you do differently than others uh, when you go about writing an obituary?
2: I think, uh, I'm not the only one who does this, but I think what I do that people like is that I try to make it into a a real story uh, instead of just some kind of a list of achievements. Uh, and I try to figure out where people came from, what kind of a home, why did they choose this or that path in life? What were they trying to do with their life? And then how did that work out? Uh, and I, I, try, I try to include the good as well as the bad. I like to sh- I like to talk about people's failures as well as their success and see, you know, what did they learn from those failures?
1: And I imagine that... Uh Not only that, you learned a lot from it as well, and we're going to come back to that right after the break. We're going to be right back with James Bob Haggerty, obituary writer for The Wall Street Journal, and we're discussing the extraordinary lives of both the successful and the obscure that he has written about. This is Tom Laurie and this is The Mentor's Radio. Hello,
3: I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of My Pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat, I would flip-flop all night long, I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache or feel like I needed a nap even though I slept 8 hours. When I invented My Pillow, I wanted it to where you could move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep sleep faster and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed. It's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all of my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10-year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow, and I give you a 60-day money back guarantee so you have nothing to lose. And here's my best offer ever. My pillow is now offering
4: 50% off their 4-pack special plus free shipping. Go to mypillow.com or call 1-800-890-6632. 1-800-890-6632 and use promo code MENTORS. That's 50% off plus free shipping. Don't delay. Order now. Hey, isn't it time you feel your best? Vibrant health with no aches and pains is the best thing you can do for yourself. And we at HopeInitCan.com can help you get there. We're a small team of ethical, independent business owners who have experienced for ourselves and know firsthand the powerful health and energy-changing results that come from using the highest quality, non-GMO, easy-to-use epigenetic nutritional supplements. That's right, Epigenetic. In a nutshell, these natural nutrients help the genes in our bodies switch on good health and switch off destructive elements that may be causing aches, pains, or worse. It's a remarkable scientific discovery, and you can benefit. Call now to learn more or go to our website at HopeInACan.com. You'll see more success stories there. That's HopeInACan.com. Or call us toll-free at 855-921-HOPE. That's 855-921-4673. 855-921-HOPE
0: or go to hopeitacan.com And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business.
1: Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I'm with The Wall Street Journal's obituary writer, James Bob Haggerty, and we're talking about the qualities of successful people, the way they dealt with obstacles, setbacks, frustrations, and in some cases, horrific traumas. When uh, writing about these uh, people, all these different people, how do you, are they assigned, or do you hunt around and figure out who you're going to write about?
2: I really hunt around almost all the time. Occasionally, my editors will suggest somebody to me, but usually it's uh, people I have found. I spent two hours every morning, seven days a week, scouring uh, newspapers from all over the world to to get ideas. Some of those come from obituaries, some of them come from family death notices, and sometimes I get emails from people who have noticed that I write obituaries and pitching an idea to me.
1: And then uh, once you've uh, identified, I, do you start with like five and then narrow it down to three, or do you lock in on three and then do your homework or do you do uh, uh, a number of people and then narrow it down from there?
2: Well, I usually stay, you know the week with the really no ideas and I'm, I'm searching and uh, I grab the first good one I see and start working on it. And then I grab the next one. Uh, occasionally, you know, I'll, I'll drop one, but usually once I get started on the research, I'll finish it. Um, so I just try to find the three best stories I can tell every week. Just people sometimes say, oh, so-and-so deserves uh, an obituary on the Wall Street Journal, but I don't try to figure out who deserves it. Uh, how, how, how can I judge that? I just try to find what are the stories that people will find most interesting and most useful.
1: And the uh, how much research do you do uh, on average for a, an obituary?
2: Well, that's hard to say. I I would say probably typically at least 8 or 10 hours, uh, sometimes more. If if the person has written a book or if there's been a biography written about them or more than one, I will read those. I talk to as many family members and friends and former colleagues as I can. Uh, Sometimes I'll talk to 10 or 15 people. Other times I can only find two or three who are available, but I do as much as I can.
1: So you're really an investigative reporter.
2: In a way, yeah. I'm hunting down stuff uh, from long ago. I, I often, it often turns out that I find out things that the family didn't
3: know.
1: That's what I was going to say. I imagine you do discover some things that they didn't know. Uh,
3: anything? I didn't the
1: ca-
2: that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> those are things they would rather I didn't mention. But, uh, I, and I do try to be sensitive to uh, you know, how the family will feel. But on the other hand, I don't want to hide something negative if I think that it was a really important part of the life story.
1: This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. And today we're talking to the Wall Street Journal's obituary writer, James Bob Hagerty. So you've got, you make, so you actually call people up, you just like a reporter, you're you're finding out a lot of things, and then you put it all together, and then you find the angle that I would assume that you want to really stress and or angles, as you said to tell your story. So it's uh, a newspaper's job. Uh, I mean, it's what journalism's all about. How do you like it?
2: Oh, I love this job. I think I've got the best job on The Wall Street Journal. Don't tell my colleagues that. Please. And what
1: is it about? What is it about this that is makes it the most interesting?
2: Well, to me, it's the history. Um, you know, for journalists, you spend most of your time uh, trying to figure out what's going to happen tomorrow, um, and the basic answer is nobody knows. Uh, I like to look backwards and say what happened and why, uh, because I figure we can say more about that.
1: Well, let's talk about a couple of the people, some of the people that you've written about. And the first one I'd like to talk about is John Vanier, who founded La Arche. Uh, Can you tell us, I'm curious about a couple of things. Maybe you, and you may not recall, because I know you've done several, what, six or 700 of these. Uh, What attracted you to writing about him? And then uh, what was the uh, main theme Uh, of his obituary of his life
2: okay well yeah that was kind of unusual for me because I'm supposed to write mainly about people from the business world but I occasionally write about others and I found his story so compelling and applicable to everybody on earth uh, because he created this international organization that uh, provides homes for the mentally disabled um, and the way that he came into this mission in his life was very interesting. And the things he had to say about it were very interesting.
1: And tell us a little, can you tell us a little bit about the home? Uh, And he had several homes, I think, uh, that he created. Uh, It started in France, and I think he had one up in uh, Canada, several places, I believe, that he built these homes for the disabled.
2: And he lived with these people. He was... He was a uh, the son of a Canadian diplomat, and uh, when he was 13 years old, he, he was in the middle of World War II, and he announced to his dad that he wanted to go to England and enroll in the Royal Naval College to, to prepare to fight the Nazis. And surprisingly, his father said, okay. Uh, so he, he joined the uh, British Navy and later the Canadian Navy. Uh, he missed out on World War II because he was too young. Uh, but he served in the Navy, and he left the military in about 1950, uh, and his, his mission was to follow Jesus. But he didn't really know what he was going to do with his life. And he spent uh, 12 years wandering from uh, university to university. He lived in a Trappist monastery. He got a doctorate in philosophy. Uh, he lectured at the University of Toronto. He never got married, and he was still really searching for his path in 1964 when he visited an asylum uh, for the mentally disabled near Paris. And he was really appalled by the, the filth and the overcrowding. And And one of the inmates asked him, will you be my friend? Uh, and he thought about it and he said yes, and he, he created the first of these homes, and that became his mission in life.
1: So his is a story where he didn't start out with a a plan, a a career plan. He just, it sounds like he bounced around a little bit and then found his path.
2: He was lost, yes. And he found that when he started taking care of these men, that the benefits went both ways. They were benefiting from his care, but he was learning from them. And he said they helped him recognize and accept his own weaknesses and his own vulnerability.
1: Well, we recently had Rich Carlgaard, who's the publisher of Forbes on, he wrote a book called uh, Late Bloomers. And in that book, he talks, you know, we have this obsession in our country today with early achievement. Mm-hmm. But in reality, most of us uh, find our path uh, over time as we try different things. And it sounds like uh, Vanier was a great example of uh, an individual who kind of floated around, bounced around and found a path and had great success uh, as he moved through the probably the second half of his life, or maybe the last two-thirds of his life.
2: Definitely, yes. Um, and, and I love the uh, the answer he gave to a reporter from the Wall Street Journal. This was about four years ago. One of our reporters went to visit uh, him in one of the homes. And the reporter at the end of the day was very impressed, but he said, you know, what about those of us who don't really have time to throw everything away and devote 100% of our life to this kind of mission? What what can we do? And the answer from Vanier was try and find somebody who is lonely. And when you go to see them, they will see you as the Messiah. Go and visit Hmm. a little old lady who has no friends or family. Bring her flowers. People say, but that's nothing. It is nothing but it's
1: also everything. Well, wow, that's a powerful story and a great lesson for all of us. And and Ye, I would say, is one of those that uh, found a lot of meaning in life by giving uh, in terms yeah, he of... He never made any money. Career. He made a
2: huge impact.
1: Yeah, great. Well, well we're going to come right back with James Bob Haggerty, the obituary writer for the Wall Street Journal who has an insatiable curiosity about why are people like that. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentor's Radio.
5: Are you concerned with the state of health care in America? You're not alone. Millions struggle with making a decision with their health insurance. But what if God provided another way? A way to touch the lives of other Christians by providing for their medical needs in a loving, scriptural way. Join the hundreds of thousands of believers all across America who are sharing each other's medical needs like these friends. I would never want to support any organization that is contrary to my faith. Samaritan Ministries allows us to control our own destiny, so to speak, in regards to taking care of our family.
6: When we had our first need, we start receiving notes and people are praying for you. The amount of support that we got through that was was incredible. It's like the, the body of Christ is all over and they're reaching out and they have no clue who we are, but they genuinely care about us.
5: If you'd like to become part of a growing community of Christians who are sharing each other's medical needs each month, visit us at SamaritanMinistries.org mentors. That's SamaritanMinistries.org mentors.
3: Are you struggling with how to practice your faith at work? Get answers to your questions and much more on the Catholic Business Journal. Focusing on careers and business with a Catholic perspective. That's Catholic Business Journal. Biz. The Catholic Business Journal, generating a return on principle. Catholic Business Catholic Business Journal. Biz.
7: Do you want to make a living and live a meaningful life? Is it possible to be financially successful while making a positive difference in the world? Chris Lowney, author of the best selling business classic, Heroic Leadership, and popular speaker on topics of leadership, corporate ethics, and decision making, shares with you his 10 simple daily habits to building a better life and world and how to implement them in his new book, Make Today Matter. Some of these habits include don't win the race, give away your sneakers, be more grateful, and control the controllables. Make Today Matter is a 2018 Distinguished Favorite Book in the Independent Press Awards and makes the perfect gift for anyone in a time of transition, graduating high school or college, beginning a new job, or entering retirement. No matter where you are in life, it is never too late to make today matter. Available everywhere books are sold.
6: When a prospect like Sarah visits your website, will she engage with your content? Will your message be friendly? Will it be informative? Most important, will it build trust, like one friend to another? If not, go to betterwebsales.com and contact Catherine Andes. Catherine can freshen your website, plus drive more traffic with SEO, helping you turn visitors into customers. Start today. Go now to BetterWebsales.com. That's BetterWebsales.com.
0: And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome
1: back. This is Tom Laurie, and I'm with The Wall Street Journal's obituary writer, James Bob Hagerty, and we're talking about the significance of everyone's life. So we talked about uh, Jean Vanier, and I, I'm curious, as you talked about him and his life and what he did, uh, obviously he really made a big impact on you. Uh, who was the most inspirational person uh, that you, for you personally that you've written about?
2: Well, it's very hard for me to say who was the most inspirational, but, uh, Vanier perhaps, but uh, many, many of them have been inspirational to me. Uh,
1: what is it that inspires you?
2: I think what inspires me is learning about the way people find their direction in life, seeing how they learn from their mistakes, how they found a path, and what they what they were trying to accomplish. And I, I'm, I suppose, especially inspired by people who overcame a lot of obstacles. Poverty it could be a disability, uh, anything that held them back or, or caused them to wander around for a while often people we're writing about today are people who were refugees before and during World War II uh, and were forced out of their home countries and uh, arrived in a a place where they knew nothing or nobody and and had to make a life for themselves.
1: Well, that's always uh, an interesting subject. My last guest was Ming Wang, who's in Nashville, who, when he was in high school, was destined for the hard labor camps in China during the uh, Cultural Revolution because he, his parents were teachers and he found his way to the United States and he's become one of the most uh, well-known ophthalmologists in the world. It's a great story. So I, those are great stories of overcoming those hardships. And I don't think people here uh, realize sometimes how difficult it is for somebody to leave their home country, come here and get started, and no friends, no family. So I'm uh, I'm with you, I think those are great stories. Uh, you also um, wrote about Richard Cooley, uh, who is the CEO of Wells Fargo. And one of the things in reading that uh, about him, who I didn't know much about him, is he was quite an independent thinking guy. Uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about his background and his rise to the top and what he did along the way.
2: Okay. Well, Dick Cooley, he was born in uh, 1923, and he grew up uh, in relative affluence in the New York suburb of Rye. His father was uh, head of public relations for New York Bell Telephone, and Dick was sent to Catholic schools. Uh, He wasn't really a too serious student, uh, but he enrolled in Yale at the age of 16. Uh, He said he was really more interested in sports than in his studies, Uh, and he played for the football team at Yale. Uh, He said that overcoming his fear of football uh, and the pain and injuries uh, was something that helped him face challenges and obstacles later in his life, Uh, and he had plenty of those because uh, he was trained as a pilot and sent to uh, France in World War II, Um, and during uh, one of his flights, a test flight, uh, his plane crashed. Uh, and in that crash, he lost his right arm. Uh, and he woke up in the hospital and uh, discovered that one of his arms was gone. Uh, and he thought about it and he, he said uh, he finally concluded that, you know, he'd find a way to make a living, he would find a wife, he would be happy, but he would never play football again. And for that, he wept. Uh, But then he went on, and he graduated from Yale, and he found a career in business, and he ultimately became chief executive of Wells Fargo. Uh, He learned to drive uh, with a stick shift, just one arm, um, and he had his own way of tying his necktie with one arm. Uh, And he managed to have a very full life. Uh, At Wells Fargo, uh, he was a very innovative person uh, known for grooming talent. He wasn't afraid of uh, hiring people who might seem smarter than him. Many of them went on to run other banks. And he was actually the one who encouraged the uh, people in his fund management company to create uh, some of the first index funds, uh, which are the kinds of investment funds where you just try to mimic the uh, performance of the overall stock market rather than picking stocks. In the 1970s, this was a very radical idea. Uh, now it's the dominant idea uh, behind investment.
1: So he, uh, well, first of all, this is Tom Laurie. You're listening to Mentors Radio Show, and today we're talking to Wall Street Journal's obituary writer, James Bob Haggerty. So he, it's fascinating. He, he had a major loss. He overcame it. He had obviously significant discipline Uh, it sounded like he had his head screwed on pretty good and uh took some big risks uh in terms of innovation that's always involving uh going against the grain and that was one of the things that i always find fascinating about people who change the way we do things is their independence and their uh, some people call it stubbornness i call it vision it can be either or both (laughs) whatever but uh he uh, went on to live a very full life despite all the obstacles that he faced.
2: Uh-huh, right. I think there are a lot of people who have been through a wartime experience like that who succeed later in life, partly because they've overcome their fears. They know that nothing worse is ever going to happen to them, and they know that they can cope with uh, ter- some terrible things. Uh, so they have the courage to go on and take
1: some risks i guess today because of all that's gone on with wells fargo he's probably uh would be very disappointed in what uh has happened uh sounds like they could use somebody like him to come back in and well maybe they have they've gone through quite a turmoil in the last few years and we're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit about mother angelica which you talked about briefly earlier so we're going to be right back with James Bob Hegarty, obituary writer for The Wall Street Journal, and we're discussing the lives of optimists, the resilient, and the humorous. If you have any questions or feedback, call anytime at 844-810-8255. That is 844-810-TALK. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentor's Radio.
3: oathbook.org.
5: Are you concerned with the state of health care in America? You're not alone. Millions struggle with making a decision with their health insurance. But what if God provided another way? A way to touch the lives of other Christians by providing for their medical needs in a loving scriptural way. Join the hundreds of thousands of believers all across America who are sharing each other's medical needs like these friends. I would never want to support any organization that is contrary to my faith. Samaritan Ministries allows us to control our own destiny, so to speak, in regards to taking care of our family.
6: When we had our first need, we start receiving notes and people are praying for you. The amount of support that we got through that was was incredible. It's like the, the body of Christ is all over and they're reaching out and they have no clue who we are, but they genuinely care about us.
5: If you'd like to become part of a growing community of Christians who are sharing each other's medical needs each month, visit us at SamaritanMinistries.org/mentors. That's SamaritanMinistries.org/mentors.
0: And now, back to the mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome
1: back. This is Tom Laurie, and I'm with the Wall Street Journal's obituary writer, Bob Haggerty. And we're talking about why you should write your own obituary, because others will probably make hash of it if you don't do it yourself. So we, we were talking, we're talking about some of the people that uh, Bob has written about. Uh, and I want to shift gears and talk, go back and talk to another one. And that's Mother Angelica. Who is the founder of the Eternal Word Television Network, the Catholic uh, network that is broadcast around the world? I am familiar with her story, and she was one tough cookie. Uh, Bob, can tell us tell us about your experience at writing that obituary. What you learned about her?
2: Okay, yeah. Well, this is again kind of unusual for me to write about. Uh, uh, a Catholic nun in the Wall Street Journal, because what does she have to do with business? But I found that she was really very entrepreneurial. She created this worldwide television network and radio network and really had an impact uh, around the world. And she had to sort of build that to nothing. And I think part of her appeal was uh, she was very funny. Uh, and she, she talked very straight, uh, You know, sometimes people call in and ask for advice. And uh, when people complain that, you know, they've been left by their girlfriend or their boyfriend or their husband or their wife, uh, she once said, people will rave and rant and cry, oh, he left me, I'm going to die. No, you're not. Just shut up and you'll feel better. (laughs) And uh, people like that kind of refreshing frankness. Uh, and in another show, she was asked about what she thought about reality TV and these people who were allowing intimate scenes from their life to be filmed. And she said, and what did they get for that besides Hellfire? <laughs> so she was, she was an entertainer, but she also had a serious message, obviously. And uh, she really came from a very modest background, Uh she was born in 1923 in uh, canton ohio her father was a tailor uh and he abandoned the family when she was young she and her mother who suffered from depression moved in with the mother's parents uh, who owned a saloon and the mother and daughter to make ends meet started a dry cleaning business and uh Angelica was called Rita at that time. Started making the deliveries and collecting the payments, so she got some street smarts. Uh, she also taught baton twirling lessons as a teenager. Uh, she sort of barely got through high school, and then she worked as a secretary. Uh, but she had this stomach ailment uh, that was tormenting her, and she prayed about it, and it got better. And she credited God for that, and. That really strengthened her faith, and at 21, she entered uh, a Franciscan convent in Cleveland. And then in 1962, she founded her own monastery in Alabama, and they had to find a way to make a living, Uh, so they started selling uh, fishing lures, and they sold roasted peanuts. But she, she thought bigger than that, and she came up with this idea of recording radio programs uh, and then she visited a Baptist TV station in Chicago and said, wow, I've got to have one of those. And so it was a, she was 58 years old when she founded her own TV network. She knew nothing about wow. it. But she figured, I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure out how to do it. One of her well, moderns was, uh, we, don't, we don't know what we're doing, but we're getting pretty good at it. <laughs>
1: Well, she I know somebody that started a radio Catholic radio network out here in California, and uh, he went down and talked to her about taking the satellite signal that they had for TV and just uh, playing it as part of the radio show. And she immediately said, yes, they figured it out, and that led to what is now a significant Uh, network of Catholic radio stations around the country. But she wasn't looking for any money. She just said, let's do it. So very interesting person. Now, one of the things that I read about you is that you've um, been talking to all these uh, people who are successful, regardless whether they're well-known or not optimism seems to be a big role in their success. Can you talk a little bit about that and what you've learned?
2: Yeah, definitely. That's very striking to me. Uh, I mean, I guess it should be obvious, but uh, we don't always think about that. Uh, to to succeed in business, usually you have to really believe that you can do things, but also that the world is not going to fall apart. Um, so if you, have, if you have a pessimistic nature, you're unlikely to make the efforts and sacrifices and take the risks that are required uh, to create anything new. Now, so optimism, self-confidence are, so, are very necessary. They're not enough, of course. Uh, you have to be realistic. You, you can't uh, just hope for the best. But it's it's very clear to me that most of the people I write about were optimistic about the world surviving and going on and they're finding ways to accomplish things.
1: And did you find anybody that, or a number of anybody or people, a number of people that maybe started out as pessimists and became optimists, or is this something that goes back to childhood?
2: Um, I think it, it partly is innate, uh, but there is a school of thought that uh, you can learn to be more optimistic, and you can learn to be more realistic in your thinking uh, by sort of examining how you explain events to yourselves. You know, if you, if, you, if you have a setback, and you're in the habit of just telling yourself, "Oh, that's just me. I'm really hopeless. I can't get things done." Uh, that's self-defeating. Some people, some people can learn to rethink and say, get, come up with a more realistic storyline in their heads about why things went wrong. You know, maybe it's because I, I had this bad habit, but I can correct that habit. Uh, maybe it was probably because of forces I couldn't control, and I could just learn from those and how to deal with them. So I think uh, you're not doomed to being pessimistic all your life, uh, but it helps if you're just kind of born with this attitude of, I can do it, we'll find a way.
1: And with uh, all the people that you've written about, is there somebody in particular that stands out with regards to humor uh, and their ability to use that throughout their life?
2: Well, one person I would talk about is, on uh, that is Howard Ruff. Um, he was uh, really known uh, in the 1970s for being super gloomy. In fact, uh, he he was somebody who made his living going around and telling people how to prepare for the worst. If you look back in the early 1970s, it was a pretty scary period because we had oil prices going crazy, inflation uh, in the teens, interest rates uh, well above 10 percent. And it was easy for people to think, well, the end of the world is coming. Uh, And so he made his business sort of telling you how to stock up on gold and silver and how to store food that would last for a long time. Um, And he went around making speeches and writing books, and was very successful. Uh, And then something terrible happened. Uh, The world went on. And we got into the 80s, and the stock market started soaring, and people were getting more... Uh, prosperous, and so his his story uh, sort of start, started, started sounding a bit hollow. Uh, but he he figured out a way to in, reinvent himself. Um, he, he started selling nutritional supplements, um, and he, he changed the name. His newspaper had been called the Rough Times, since he was Howard Rough. Uh, But he changed it to uh, the financial success report. He did have to scale back a bit. He gave up his 20,000-square-foot home uh, and moved to a smaller home. But he put out a record album called Howard Rough Sings, uh, which featured his own version of My Way. Um, And he sold uh, what he called boot camps to train budding entrepreneurs. And he sold software for homeschooling. And then he latched on to the year 2000 scare and how to cope with that. Uh, So he he always found something that he could sell, whether it was good, good times or bad times.
1: Well, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about writing your own obituary. We're going to be right back with James Bob Haggerty, obituary writer for The Wall Street Journal. And we've been discussing the extraordinary lives of both the successful and the obscure that he has written about. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio. Hey,
4: there's something new for you at the mentorsradio.com website, a new special offers page. There you'll find unique offers available only to our listeners. You, for example, have you ever wondered if a career coach could help you get to the next level? find out for a limited time a superb career coach is offering you a free session the offers change all the time so bookmark the mentorsradio.com that's the mentorsradio.com thementorsradio.com
6: when a prospect like sarah visits your website will she engage with your content will your message be friendly will it be informative most important will it build trust like one friend to another If not, go to BetterWebSales.com and contact Catherine Andes. Catherine can freshen your website, plus drive more traffic with SEO, helping you turn visitors into customers. Start today. Go now to BetterWebSales.com. That's BetterWebSales.com. Hey, isn't it time you feel your best? Vibrant
4: health with no aches and pains is the best thing you can do for yourself. And we at HopeInItCan.com can help you get there. We're a small team of ethical, independent business owners who have experienced for ourselves and know firsthand the powerful health and energy-changing results that come from using the highest quality, non-GMO, easy-to-use epigenetic nutritional supplements. That's right, epigenetic. In a nutshell, these natural nutrients help the genes in our bodies switch on good health and switch off destructive elements that may be causing aches, pains, or worse. It's a remarkable scientific discovery, and you can benefit Call now to learn more or go to our website at hopeinacan.com. You'll see more success stories there. That's hopeinacan.com. Or call us toll free at 855-921-HOPE. That's 855-921-4673. 855-921-HOPE. Or go to hopeinacan.com.
7: Do you want to make a living and live a meaningful life? is it possible to be financially successful while making a positive difference in the world? Chris Lowney, author of the best-selling business classic, Heroic Leadership, and popular speaker on topics of leadership, corporate ethics, and decision-making, shares with you his 10 simple daily habits to building a better life and world and how to implement them in his new book, Make Today Matter. Some of these habits include don't win the race, Give away your sneakers, be more grateful, and control the controllables. Make Today Matter is a 2018 Distinguished Favorite Book in the Independent Press Awards and makes the perfect gift for anyone in a time of transition, graduating high school or college, beginning a new job, or entering retirement. No matter where you are in life, it is never too late to Make Today Matter. Available everywhere books are sold.
0: And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business.
1: Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I am with The Wall Street Journal's obituary writer, James Bob Haggerty, and we've been having a lot of fun talking about people and people he's written about. Uh, Bob, tell me about the person that struck you that's the most uh, memorable with regards to resilience.
2: Okay, yeah, this is a story I love to tell about Hilda Gimple, uh, who was not famous at all. Uh, she was a Jewish girl who was born in 1917 in a Polish village. She lost both of her parents and five siblings to the Holocaust. And her husband died as a member of the Jewish resistance in a Polish forest, where she and he slept on the ground in rain and snow through two winters. So now she was all alone near the end of World War II. And Hilda had just one small request for a Russian military officer who she met in Poland. She hoped that he could provide an escort so that she could visit her husband's grave. And this Russian officer mocked her in the vilest possible terms. And he said that when she died, nobody would cry for her. So why was she bothering weeping about over somebody else's grave? And Hilda later decided that this Russian really had a point. Uh, she didn't have any time for crying, and she told herself, as she called it later, "You're going to see what the next day is going to bring." And after the war, she married another Holocaust survivor, Harry Eisen, and they moved to Southern California, and they built a business raising chickens to produce eggs for supermarkets. And they made a fortune. And in their old age, they could afford to donate to Jewish causes and they had time to play cards with their friends. And in the end, that Russian was proved wrong because when Hilda died at the age of 100, there were three children to grieve her and eight grandchildren and seven great-grandchildren. And I think uh, we should really rejoice that this story was recorded by her family, and we know about it, even though there was nothing famous about Hilda Gimple. Hmm. And that really is why I tell people that uh, they should write their own stories, uh, whether they're famous or not.
1: If they don't do it.
2: uh, If you don't do it, your family probably will, and they'll make a mess of it, because um, what, one thing that strikes me is that when I, I talk to sons and daughters of people who have died, they're very eager. Uh, it's, very, it's very important to them that the story is properly recorded. But they often know very little about that story. And in my own case, when my father died, this was 20 years ago, we had a very inadequate obituary that ran in the local paper. Uh, It had all the names spelled right and the places and the dates, but it just told nothing about his personality and why he did this or that in his life and what he thought about his life. And so I think people ought to sit down and record those thoughts, ideally in writing, but if if they prefer uh, talking to a tape recorder.
1: Yeah, my my grandfather was... uh the publisher of editor and publisher of chicago Times and i'm going through some of the papers that he has now there's a lot of things that i'm digging up that the family didn't know uh, so it's really important to have a written record that people can go back to well bob i really want to thank you for joining us today this has been a lot of fun and very instructive and i encourage our listeners to pick up the wall street journal and read uh bob's obituaries i believe they uh are published on Thursday or Friday.
2: Saturday in print.
1: Uh oh Saturday. Saturday. Okay.
2: In print. They I, used to come I, out and in the online edition uh on Thursday or Friday. So you can no, buy them I, online
1: I do, I do read them, so I but I sometimes save the papers up. But thank thank you very much for joining us. Remember if you tuned in late you can listen to this and past shows by downloading podcasts by going to our website. TheMentorsRadio.com. That's TheMentorsRadio.com. When you're there, make it easy for yourself and subscribe to future shows. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next weekend at this time for the next edition of The Mentors Radio. Until then, this is Tom Laurie signing off for today. Remember to be all that you can be and keep a candle lit for all who struggle in the darkness.